This is Southern Arch Heretic, Shifting the Burden, continuing with the proof and discussing the teleological argument. I'm Kit Rogers, and I have some questions. The Teleological Argument Intelligent Design I think that this term is recognizable to most folks by now. The teleological argument is essentially the intelligent design argument. It is based on observable complexity in the universe. The word teleology means an explanation of phenomena in terms of its purpose instead of cause. The premise is that such amazing complexity and beauty could only exist if designed by an intelligent being. In 1802, William Paley presented his version of the watchmaker analogy in his Natural Theology. He wrote, In crossing a heath, suppose I pitched my foot against a stone and were asked how the stone came to be there, I might possibly answer that, for anything I knew to the contrary, it had lain there forever, nor would it perhaps be very easy to show the absurdity of this answer. But suppose I had found a watch upon the ground, and it should be inquired how the watch happened to be in that place. I should hardly think of the answer which I had before given, that, for anything I knew, the watch might have always been there. Yet why should not this answer serve for the watch, as well as for the stone? Why is it not as admissible in the second case as in the first? For this reason, and for no other, vis-a-vis that, when we come to inspect the watch, we perceive what we could not discover in the stone, that its several parts are framed and put together for a purpose, e.g., that they are so formed and adjusted as to produce motion, and that motion so regulated as to point out the hour of the day that, if the different parts had been differently shaped from what they are, of a different size from what they are, or placed after any other manner, or in any other order, than that in which they are placed, either no motion at all would have been carried on in the machine, or none which would have answered the use that is now served by it. So, basically, if you found a watch on the ground, you would know that it must have been created by an intelligent being because it's obvious. It's different than a rock. The intricacy of the design and the perfectly formed parts to create the working machine must be from an intelligent being. The workings of the precision pieces are tuned so finely that any adjustment or missing piece would affect its ability to function properly. This is extrapolated onto the earth and then the universe, and boom, God.
very broadly, this argument falls into a couple of categories. The irreducible complexity argument and the fine-tuning argument. Both are still predominantly complexity arguments. The most endearing argument, to me at least, for intelligent design is that it seems like a very natural assumption and maybe something that feels right when we say it or we see it. Doesn't mean it is right, but maybe it feels that way. I've heard people in my family or just in passing state their understanding of this argument and their belief in it, or at least their openness to its credibility. It usually sounds more like a fear of being wrong, possibly facing the wrath of that loving, all-powerful designer when it's presented for some reason. It also seems to be popular with those that aren't necessarily practicing Christians or churchgoers, but were raised that way and are having trouble letting go. Once again, I don't understand why an invisible tinkerer and designer must be invented to explain complexity. Evolution is accepted science now. I hate it when ignorant people pose the argument that it's just a theory. They usually state with confidence and insistence something like, a theory means it isn't proven. This pronouncement makes a person sound stupid. A scientific theory is a principle to explain what is already shown in data. A hypothesis is not proven. A hypothesis is an assumption or best guess, usually based on some evidence that's yet to be tested in such a way as to become an accepted theory. Yes, science changes and evolves. It's designed to do just that. We as human beings are learning more and more about the makeup of our universe and ourselves, and so we are also evolving. So why is it so difficult for some to accept a rational explanation for complexity, which is that complex objects evolved from simpler objects. Certain traits are passed on to the next generation. Some of those traits serve some function that aids in survival. Some of those traits do not, or are simply superfluous. These non-helpful or superfluous traits may develop in order, most likely after numerous generations and mutations, to serve a completely different purpose, maybe just accoutrement to attract another of the species for reproduction, like feathers and dances in birds of paradise, yet further aid in survival and add to the object's general complexity. Evolution is not a simple survival of the fittest. There is random mutation and interesting unexplainable extras that also persevere with the survivor. As species continue through time, Individuals of a species whose traits are best supported in their environment tend to survive and reproduce, passing on their traits, both useful and superfluous. And those that possess traits that are detrimental or lack the required traits to compete tend not to survive and reproduce. This, as is evident, does not mean that certain seemingly useless or anomalous traits won't survive and organize to serve some future purpose. This applies to all living things. The complexity and beauty of a sunflower or the perfection of a conch shell 
although intricate, pulchritudinous, and apparent, became that way by evolving into those forms. It makes sense that life forms would evolve toward perfection and beauty as we understand it, and that maybe our perfectly human comprehension of perfection and beauty exists because we have evolved alongside everything else with our abundance of imperfections and superfluous parts. Our appendix, for example. We are also a part of this universe, and joy and beauty seem to be universally understood as positive, no matter the faith or non-faith. Have you ever been to a museum and viewed the reproductions of early man? Woo! We have evolved into a more pleasing to the eye and more complex species as well. Just my opinion. Let's investigate the two prongs of the modern teleological argument. We can start with the irreducible complexity prong. The expression irreducible complexity was introduced by Dr. Michael Behe in his book Darwin's Black Box. Dr. Behe is a biochemist and prof professor at Lehigh University in Pennsylvania. He's also a senior fellow of the Discovery Institute's Center for Science and Culture, and a well-recognized advocate for the intelligent design credo. Dr. Behe defines irreducible complexity in Darwin's Black Box as follows. Quote, By irreducibly complex, I mean a single system composed of several well-matched interacting parts that contribute to the basic function, wherein the removal of any one of the parts causes the system to effectively cease functioning. An irreducibly complex system cannot be produced directly, that is, by continuously improving the initial function which continues to work by the same mechanism, by slight, successive modifications of a precursor system, because any precursor to an irreducibly complex system that is missing a part is by definition non-functional." Dr. Behe uses the mousetrap analogy to illustrate his position just as Paley used the watchmaker analogy. A mousetrap is made up of five interacting pieces. One, the base, two, the catch, three, the spring, four, the hammer, and five, the hold-down bar. Dr. Behe opines that removal of any one of these pieces would result in the inability for the mousetrap to work and fulfill its function or purpose. Because biological systems also have multiple working parts, they are comparable. His position is that there is no evolutionary pathway to functionality. He argues that in order for the complex biological object to perform its natural function, all of the working parts must be present, and so random selection and successive slight modifications cannot explain their existence. But what if the object's natural function or purpose also evolves. What if those individual pieces are repurposed for a different function? 
Dr. Kenneth Raymond Miller challenged Dr. Behe's mousetrap analogy in his book, Only a Theory. He observed that if you take different subsets of the individual pieces of an object, they can be organized to serve a different function. He relays a story about a high school experience uh, and one of his classmates, and this is a quote, struck about the brilliant idea of using an old broken mousetrap as a spitball catapult, and it worked brilliantly. It had worked perfectly as something other than a mousetrap. My rowdy friend had pulled a, comp a couple of parts, probably the hold-down bar and catch, off the trap to make it easier to conceal and more effective as a catapult, leaving the base, the spring, and the hammer. Not much of a mousetrap, but a hell of a spitball launcher. I realized why Behe's mousetrap analogy had bothered me. It was wrong. The mousetrap is not irreducibly complex at all. End quote. In biological terms, Dr. Miller explains that as something evolves, and considering that random mutation is a part of the process, that something could develop functional spandrels. A spandrel can be best understood as a byproduct of the evolution of some other characteristic. His argument is that if all parts are developed individually as these spandrels, then for pieces to fit together and perform a specific function, the only step is the assembly of the parts. This doesn't require any design of the parts themselves. So the five individually, quote unquote, intelligently designed parts of Dr. Behe's mousetrap analogy are reduced to one step. Of course, this step can easily be a result of natural selection over time, and its eventual function can be a trait that aids in survival in some unforeseen way. The Mouse Standing close by you in the cold light of two tall candles that measure the dark of night, I hear the mouse the only thing that's moving in the quiet house. Don't you hear it, that furious mouse? How can you sleep so deep in that noise in the house? Won't you stir at the furious scratching in the cupboard there? No, a sharper sound would wake you not. Not the sweetest fluting tease you back to thought. Yet the scratching mouse makes all my flesh a nervous haunted house. Oh, the dream. The dream must be sweet and deep If life's scratchings heard not on your cold sleep Yet if you should hear it so furious and fretful How could you bear it? By John Frederick Freeman Sometime between 1908 and 1920 The fine-tuning prong of the teleological argument Is arguably the most persuasive of those put forth by Christian apologists as it relates to this intelligent design and intelligent designer argument. There are certain constants that exist in our universe, as proven scientifically, and the universe seems to be fine-tuned for intelligent life. The argument is that if any one of these constants were altered by even the smallest amount, the probability of intelligent life, i.e. us, existing, is so low as to be impossible without an intelligent designer. 
fact-filled paragraphs can be stacked one upon the other to show how mathematically improbable certain realities actually are. And that's basically what these arguments present. There are lengthy articles and books devoted to it. If we didn't live in a three-dimensional universe, for instance, life as we know it would be impossible. So God. If the gravitational constants weren't what they were at the time of the Big Bang, the elemental makeup of our universe would be different. So God. Now that we have some knowledge of quantum physics, well, couldn't work if it didn't work. So God. The mathematical probability of all the natural conditions and fundamental constants in the universe lining up so that we can exist are so unlikely. And here's where you get ridiculously large numbers, blah -de blah blah to the blah power times, just a tick less than infinity, etc., that we must be here by design. I can't help but notice that the main crux of this argument is that if a wrench were thrown in the gumbo, so to speak, it might not taste so good. I still don't understand how creating a complex creator is anything other than our human desire, based on the solipsism that catalyzes it, to anthropomorphize the universe itself. Once again, we find ourselves at a point in the argument where the non-believer can state that there are clearly rational and science-based explanations for the observed complexity in our universe, even though admittedly and thankfully there is still much to learn. These explanations don't conflict with the generally accepted theory of evolution. They don't require a perfect and infallible designer. Stating that something is perfectly balanced and so must have been created or designed seems lazy. Besides, the fact that the conditions for intelligent life are fleeting, at least on our planet, seems to suggest that either the intelligent designer was not so intelligent or set us up for ultimate failure on Earth, which is kind of an asshole thing to do. Arguably, although breathtaking and unfathomable, thus far, in some ways, our universe is a terrible design as it relates to us in the first place. What perfect and caring designer would intentionally include so many flaws? Our sun will expand and explode one day. Our solar system will be annihilated. If an intelligent, caring, all-knowing, and perfect designer also planned for our imminent destruction, what does that say about the designer? I don't want to begin a diatribe about theodicy, which is rationalizing a good and gracious all-powerful God with the existence of evil, but it is relevant to the design argument. What designer would, for instance, design and create us, quote-unquote, in his image, but include ego and hubris, violence and hatred, famine and disease, psychopaths and sociopaths. See, there I go. The point is, it appears to me that his image must be a shitty, flawed image. Or as a creator, he's a hack. Jesus, his self-portraits must be the stuff of nightmares. I prefer the alternative view, that if we keep asking questions, 
and searching for legitimate, reliable answers using proven methodology, maybe we can figure it out. We don't need a loving but angry, untalented, imaginary friend to design us. Next time we'll dig into a different argument. Love you. Mean it. Thank you.